Hello, I'm Eagle, Eagle Gardens, Eagle Gardens 1 on Instagram, and this is Fucking Talking Shit with Eagle, episode 323. Hopefully you guys have had an amazing Saturday, I sure did. Even more so, I've got an amazing guest for us tonight. You know him on Instagram as Hardy Gear. Of course, this is Alex Hardy. How you doing, Alex? You want to tell us how you're doing this evening and where we can find you? Um, I'm feeling pretty good today. I got to do a little powder skiing myself on this Saturday evening. And uh, I'm best found at Hardy Gear, like I said, on Instagram, H-E-R-T-I. And uh, that's that's my ancestor's uh, family name. It used to grow hemp in the old country. And I've adopted that uh, for my company name. So, uh, you know, I just want to quickly uh, give you a shout out for that episode on a future cannabis project the other day. It was an amazing episode, which, you know, like I told you before the show, had me super curious and wanting more. So I had to invite you on to uh, tell our listeners uh, about yourself. So welcome and uh, thank you for coming. First off. Cool. Cool. Yeah, it's... Um... It definitely, uh, I, I got a, I got a, a story, and a lot of people once they hear it, and they keep hearing it, and and they, they you start getting more aspects to it. I mean, this guy's full of shit. No, I, I live more before I was forty years old than most people ever watch on television before they're eighty. Actually, it's uh, I've done some things and uh, been there, and I haven't done all of it, but I, I did do quite a bit, and I'm going to do a lot more. Yeah, I don't say anybody's full of shit with some of the shit they do. You just never know, you know, and uh, I, anymore, man, some, a lot of these people like yourselves that I meet, man, more than, I'm just jealous, man. It seems like I'm laggy. I've been laggy with life experience to, compared to some of you guys, man, a little jealous, well, if anything. You know, we all we all have a different... Um... Part of what I said was we all have this different uh, aspect of life. We all have a different um, um, reality. Our, 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 we've all come to this place from a whole different set of, of experiences and uh, challenges and uh, blessings, right? So, so, like, you can never really compare yourself to other people. You can only compare yourself to where you were before and just see where you are later and, and if I improve myself. You know what I'm saying? Whether we're talking about artwork or we're talking about growing or we're talking about self-improvement or having a crazy lifestyle. Um, if you compare yourself to other people, you're going to put yourself down all the time because there's all sorts of people doing crazy stuff and you're doing your stuff. And, um, it is what that is, right? And, and if that's if you see someone doing something better than you want to be doing, do it, right? It's... Um, kind of I, I did a bunch of stuff i wouldn't trade a single one for for any of the pain i'm in or whatever when i feel it but uh maybe we'll start in reverse this time and I'll, I'll start i'll list off um i've broken my neck twice never knew it never none of this stuff's ever been set by doctors none of it's ever been um it was all pro, uh figured out just in the last like six years um so they told me i had carpal tunnel my whole life but apparently i broke my neck twice um, I have seven discs are gone, missing, herniated from the entire spine. There's, there's two edema, the thoracic spine, kind of like when it's 
pressure changes, it kind of squeezes and twists if I'm, if I'm uh, overworked or underworked, whatever. Uh, my muscles and my spine kind of start tweaking on me and, and my whole spine just, I just got to lay down. Um, pressure changes when storms closely. But then going down, there's uh, no ACL on the right knee, no MCL, PCL, or cartilage in the left knee. I've broken both my hands, uh, pressed this right clavicle, and it was never set. Um, got run over by a car, left the right foot, right leg. And after that, I decided, like, yeah, I, I guess I'm immortal. I'm, I'm going to stop testing this stuff. It hurts. <laughs> um, but um, I always treated it with cannabis and uh, opiates messed me up when I was younger and, and I guess uh, I don't know, I, I would go back like I did starting early and, and, and tell, tell a story from when I was a kid like that, Yeah, that's actually usually where we start off here on the show is you know, that's my usually like one of my first questions is, you know, when was cannabis introduced to your life, either, you know, growing it or, you know, your first experience using the plant. And then uh, we kind of usually just roll from there. <laughs> sure. So with the plant specifically, uh, I was 14, 13 years old and uh, been around the family. It was my brothers, my sister, um, also, like great uncles, uncles at family reunions and things like that. People of uh, all walks of life. There was pretty big uh, parties we'd have. Three to five hundred people would get together, and some people would be smoking, some people would be drinking. And uh, but for me, it was family friend and a tinfoil pipe, and I think it was resin. Actually, was the first thing I ever smoked. But uh, I had already been playing American football, and my back hurt, and it felt great. Um, but by the time I was 14 years old, my first job working on a fishing boat going out in the Pacific Ocean, uh, Southern California, Newport Beach. Uh, and uh, I was the deckhand and galley slave. And um, on the boat, we got to smoking for, for seasickness. We'd, we'd, I was the youngest guy on the boat, so they'd have the, the lowest slimes take the green gilled landlubbers out on the bows to stop chumming the deck and you'd burn a stick of rope with them and that's the old what the old mariners would say we'd burn a stick of rope and that was a joint and the rope is the the cannabis it's the same plant that they would get uh, back once upon a time ago it'd be coming out of like durban and now you know things spread around the world and you, you get it all over the place but um it's also what they made the ropes out of back in the day so it, it it was um, the Mexi weed, though, that the uh, that we had for for the uh, the patrons there getting seasick. They would take two hits off a little joint, and that was it. They they stop smoking, uh, and they'd be fine. No more puking, and, and thanks. That was amazing. And I might take a little, you know, condensing to get them to do it, but they'd try it. But if we only had chronic to the triangle, it would uh, make them sicker, and they. Hugh Carter, and, and uh, that was my introduction to medical marijuana, um, and that was 1985 um, when I was working on the fishing boat at the age of 14. Um, another thing that happened on the boat, though, there was these two bikers that would come out, Big Ed and Jeff. I don't think I told them to talk about Big Ed and Jeff, but um, the other talk, uh, these guys were a couple of bikers, and they were just huge guys. 
Big Ed had to have been 400 pounds or more, and Jeff was, was a good 300 plus. And they had a fishing business. So they'd come out on the fishing boat, and they would catch fish all day, and they'd get off the boat, and there was a fish dealer next door, and they'd sell whatever fish they caught and take the receipts, and that was their cover for their hundreds of pounds of press weed or whatever it was that they were moving back in the day through their biker channel. And they would come out on the boat and fish, and hey, uh, these guys were huge. They had to eat, so they were like constantly like they didn't have cash to give me for they ran out cheeseburger money, so they'd start pulling out buds, joints, and handing me paying me uh, galley fees with cannabis. And uh, so those guys were some of my first suppliers personally. Um, knew them for three or four years, and so my first hydroponic came from them. Some scraggly stuff back in the day, but. Um, yeah, that was, that was the very beginning, you know, we, y'all, we, we've been growing, uh, organic vegetables and around the house and, and I grew up growing uh, on family farms and neighborhood farms and Southern California, Los Angeles between my grandparents' houses and, uh, not cannabis, but plants and like the fig farm, uh, that I got to work on when I was six years old, taught me reverence for the plants where grandmother had all sorts of specimen plants going. Uncle was a actual uh, master gardener back in the 70s through the university program, right? Now we all joke about people being the master gardener and stuff, but back in the 70s, when you had that, that was a pretty rare certification, and, and it's a real thing where you go through a class and learn about gardening, and um, so we had beehives and um, hundreds of specimen plants and, and uh, compost pile stuff, and the house I grew up on actually um, had amazing soil and, and fruit trees and the same kind of stuff and multiple gardens. And um, We started putting seeds in the ground there. And 86, me and my brother decided, that, hey, skunk is gone. And it's kind of a funny thing to hear people say today. It's like, there's no such thing as skunk. And we were saying it back then, right? It's, just, it's a joke. It's like skunk has never been gone. It's always been here. And, and it's just, there's like, what does skunk smell like? It smells different to everyone. We all have a different idea of what this smell is. So it's kind of hard to say, yeah, the true skunk that um, the skunk man bred back then, that's gone. And there was stuff way before that that was from, from the early 70s that was called skunk. And that stuff's gone. But there's skunky smelling stuff. Um, so, so we popped like 200 Mexi seeds with, with the protocol. And, figuring out like this is how we're going to grow our skunk weed because that's how Sam did it. He crossed Thai and Afghan and Mexi weed and then inbred it. He bred 10 plants, 10 plants, 10 plants, 10 plants, 10 plants, and checked them all and just kept on checking them all. And that's, that's what true breeding is. And uh, but that once upon a time ago, back in, back in the 80s, right? So, when you were on the, there the other day, uh, one of my uh, past guests here, Red Pill 710, great guy I interviewed the other night. He was on the wormhole last night, and we were uh, discussing you coming on the show. And uh, he says, you know, he said when he was on the Cannabis Project that he believed that... Uh, skunk faded with uh the loss of lead in the gas ah. 
So you want to elaborate a little bit on that? He, so, I told him my so way. I was just throwing out like that was like a a conjecture that we're we're constantly saying people are saying like skunk is gone, right? So so but but I mean I I pulled a nugget out and handed it to a fellow tonight and said share that with everyone and and the whole fucking bar was just like thinking like a skunk all of a sudden. So it's it's just it's not really gone, but we have what we think may have been it. But there's also we all know epigenetics happens, right? And we could talk to some of these master growers like Kevin Georgery who say like we run the same cut at sea level at 500 feet elevation to the top of the ridge, over the ridge in the dry zone. And it comes out different everywhere with the exact same soil, same water regime, whatever. That's epigenetics, right? So that's the effect of the environment within the package of genetics inside the plant's capacity. And so it'll adapt. And the same kind of adaptation that can occur, for instance, if you use in a sativa, a true land race sativa, I'm not talking about hybrids and, and people get jargon mixed up, but a true sativa from a land race, you grow it under a red light, it's gonna stretch a lot more than if you grow it under a blue light. It's gonna have a shorter internode. Okay, it's not going to etoliate or have that cell stretch. Um, if you feed certain things to it, it's going to change the flavor. If you, you know, uh, another an epigenetic response is any sort of nutrient over or under feeding and the leaf starts to change, right? Whether it claws or changes color. These are all epigenetic changes, right? These are responses to the environment within the full genetic package and, and it adapts and, and it has least limiting and most limiting factors that it has to abide by to get to its goal, which is reproduction, producing a seed. Um, so skunk smell being a, a phenol, a, a, it's a, a biscuit alcohol and uh, ester, all right? So these things, um, they evaporate at low temperatures. We can smell them in a room, right? So they, they're not going to be long in the bag, whatever. But whatever it is, it takes sulfur to produce that, okay? So we know we put sulfur in, for instance, with gypsum. I know I'm giving sulfur to my plants. So that's, that's part of why my plants got skunky smell. Um, but, but in the overall scheme of things, we're getting back here. Back in the day, we used to have a lot more sulfur in our diesel. And we'd be spewing diesel everywhere and black fumes and not only like where I grew up in Los Angeles where you saw that in the basin and it created visual pollution but through dispersion through the wind currents of the world that stuff would spread everywhere right so there was sulfur in the air everywhere so plants could have been taking up through their stomata or even as that stuff deposits into the soil that sulfur deposition to create more of a skunky uh, epigenetic expression of a terpene profile than we were able to get today. Um, and I mentioned we don't have lead anymore in our gas like we used to. And those are just two things that have changed in our environment that are never going to come back on a large scale. And we don't really necessarily want them to come back. But it's like, so why, why, why do we all say skunk is gone? That, and, and like people, one guy says he spent over $40,000 buying people's seeds who say, I have the skunk. And he grows it and says, none of this shit's skunking, right? Um, 
So there's like this huge question that I, I contemplate, and I, I don't know that's the answer. It'd be cool if we could figure out some way to do the science on that, but we don't have the baseline. We never tested back then. We never thought skunk was going to go away, right? So, um, but again, I, I think uh, most of my stuff really has, when it's cured out, an amazing skunkiness to it when you get it isolated. Um, keep things around a bunch of other things, and it's like, ah, I can smell some sharpness. I can smell some some gas. I can smell heavy roller comes by one day. Parks across the street. Says, "Well, man, it's loud around here. Like I can I can hear I can hear three houses down across the street." And I give him a little tour, and we're hanging out looking at, at the at the weight, and, and uh, he's like, I, "I think you do something wrong with your curing." I'm like, no, man, you just you're in the heart of the of the loud. You, it's screaming so loud in here you can't tell the difference between in front of your face and in front of the bag right uh, so there's these relativities things that go on but you take that you take that little uh, piece out and you get it into fresh air and then it's just Brah! that's how mine is I, I don't know how everyone else is <laughs> I got the wheat snob back there in the 80s um yeah, uh, getting that stuff coming down from the triangle and comparing it to that maxi weed, and some of those guys that were producing some real good dank weed back in the day. It was, uh, one, you know, you take a hit and that's all you needed. That's that's what I like it to be like. Speaking of which, I'll take a that's hit. Take a break. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a weed snob. I'm just jealous that, you know, location, 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 you know, you can't hate because you were there and able to get some of that good stuff way back in the day. I mean, Dude, there was mixed blessings, right? Like I said, in this, in this talking the other day, I, I would get, whether we had weed or not, we just get pulled over by police walking from home from school, right? All through the mid 80s. By the end of the 80s, it was depending on where you were. Yeah, location. Downtown LA, where I went to private school. I'm blessed with my education. Um, one night sitting there smoking joint in our Letterman jacket, drinking beers, and, and the cops roll up, LAPD, and like, man, you guys kicked ass in the game this week. You ought to get up off the onto the curb before some drunk rolls you over. Do good in the playoffs, right? We're eight, 17, 18 years old passing a joint around and, and the police pull up and congratulate us on our football game. But you get into some of the more affluent suburbia and yeah, you're going to get, you were getting pulled over constantly. Stop walking, stop riding your bike, whatever. Um, that's how it was when I got here. Scary shit here, but uh, it's a whole different, you know, so back in the day on the fishing boat, uh, we were boarded five days a week by Coast Guard. We had three shifts a day on the boats and um, we couldn't throw seeds in the, in the trash can or whatever, right? It was, uh, but we needed that medicine for people. They got sick and it made a huge difference. And then a lot of the, a lot of the deckhands were, were strung out on Coke. I actually, actually almost got murdered at sea one night when I was 14, we, we had a record catch and the captain says, we're staying out an extra hour to secure this catch record and it'll never be beaten. We 
were just loading the boat and uh, coming back home in high seas and I'm scrubbing deck and the deckhand slices his hand because we're, we're going through some waves, right? And where I come to a stop, I'm blocking the light and he looks down at the down the, the, the side of the boat and sees me standing there in the light. Like, you, it's your fault. And the next thing I know, I am my head's back against the rail and he's coming down with a flay knife and the other deckhands grabbed him while he's halfway into the stroke. And there's a chum line full of fish behind us and there are, are sharks and stuff, right? They've been, they've been flaying fish out and everything and high seas and did one in the morning and I would have been dead in, in seconds. And uh, I never worked with those guys again on the Coke boat and the captain put me on the, the boat where Big Ed and Jeff would come out. <laughs> it was the weed boat. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather be on the weed boat any day. Oh man, it was nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was not cool. I saw some stuff that, like, I swore I, I would never do heroin because I seen these kids shooting up between their toes when I, I'm one of these. Like, there's all these boats at anchor, and kids would sneak into them and have them for party boats and stuff, right? So I seen that shit, and uh, I seen before I was 15, dudes doing crack cocaine and and like robbing people for it and stuff. Um, those are friends, acquaintances. It's like, man, this is all bad juju. Here, smoke this, right? Um, people getting drunk and doing stupid shit. I'm like, damn, stop that. Smoke this. I was 15 when my mom came to me and says, hey, can you get cancer medicine? And back then it was just, we just knew smoking made it so you felt like a human being instead of wanting to die from the chemotherapy, right? And, uh, but I had to step off the, step off of the bus in downtown Los Angeles coming going from the private school and uh, it was down in, in LA and uh, buy from basically cartel street dealers because we did not have a steady state connection from like the chronic, which would have been way better for the lady. But that's was the first thing I was able to get somebody for cancer medicine in 1986. It was a big bag of press weed sativa. <laughs> I've never charged a cancer patient in my life. And I've helped out. My, my cancer medicine has gone like to India and saved a head of state in India a few years back. Changed their laws, Ayurvedic medicine and, and their state uh, medicine laws there. Um, pretty damn awesome right there. Pretty yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That, and that, that was in conjunction with Seeds for Deeds out in California too. You know, we were, we were, um, a spinoff from the PFA where I was teaching. Um, we had the um, Land Race Traders Club with the intent of getting medicine to people who need it and not charging them and getting seeds preserved, the Land Race. And, and the Land Race has some medicine in it that we don't even know about yet. And scraggly plants that people don't want to grow because it doesn't grow much. And they figured that out with like the CBG. And the, you know, it's like, oh, these scraggly little hemp plants with the CBD, like, breed it up in these massive plants and then produces huge amounts of both of those now. But uh, there's other stuff we haven't found yet still. You know, we know about terpene combinations and things. But I talked to a guy in China and there's over 100 canyons that are like untouched and unresearched with wild cannabis growing in across the country in China, right? It's not more than that. He said he'd visited some 25 places and collected some super remote three-day hike in to get the seeds type of stuff so we, don't, we have no idea what this plant holds for us still um 
pretty glad that I've learned some deep learning. So it's, um, as, a, as a kid, I I, uh, I had these injuries, right, playing football. Um, and I, apparently I broke my neck when I was 16. Didn't, wasn't recognized. I was uh, extremely strong. I could squat 750 pounds. They called me Odysseus. And I literally, I think I passed out. It was out cold for maybe 10 to 20 seconds. But I got up and ran off the football field and ran right to the doctor. He was a friend of mine. My sister babysat for his, his family, big Catholic family, nine kids. Um, and he examined me and says, man, you, you got whiplash. And raining that night, it's kind of cold. And it started tensing up, tensing up. 10 minutes later, I'm like, Doc, it's just, something's wrong. It's getting worse. And he gave me a towel. and like, you got really bad whiplash. And wrapped up a towel and held it there. And was come by a uh, shop on, on, on Monday. I'll give you some pills and a, and a brace. And so I got pills and a brace. And then like two months later, I'm still wearing this brace and eating pills. And one of the priests, and it might have just been a month later, whatever it was, but I, I could have gotten more pills. And, but I was just out there and I'd be in class and they're like, when are you coming back to class, Alex? I'm like, I'm here. Like, no, when and it literally takes the pills from me and throws them away and makes me take the neck brace off because I was just it probably saved my life. And probably saved a lot of people's lives since then because I the, the ripples in the pool spread and you throw it throw the and it reverberates and um I've done some amazing things since then. But yeah, I probably would have been a pill head drug addict for the rest of my life and addicted to those things if, if you didn't do that for me. I never played football again, though. My neck was obviously, I thought, I was like, I put the helmet on. I'm like, oh, I'm going to break my neck if I play. It's too weak. And I had no idea it had actually broken. And I found out years and years and years later. Um, but smoking a little grass makes you feel good. And I was down in Mexico with my cousin who had a orphanage. And uh, these guys next to me from Texas had, had, had a little puff there having a session. And I'm like, oh, man. It'd be huge. You guys could help me out, man. You know, and they're like, well, don't tell anybody if you get busted. I'm like, busted? Who's what? Next thing I know, though, I'm stuffing a little weed in the front of my cigarette, and I look up. There's 12 federales with machine guns on me, and like, uh, that was that was crazy. That was like a four or five hour ordeal, and they were taking me and my mom's vehicle that I drove down there, and all the orphan stuff that was in it was a van again. And my cousin shows up, speaks fluid Spanish, says, no, 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 let's go for a drive with the Capitan. So I had machine guns in my ribs. We drove around Ensenadas, Mexico, and uh, negotiated. The captain wanted the cassette tape with the mariachi band that my cousin loved to listen to. So he held that mariachi band cassette tape as <laughs> um, a bargaining chip. And he didn't ever give it up. But they kept my driver's license in like $260 cash. And so I had a bunch of guys with my name working in fields in Michigan the next year. And uh, my cousin got my Grateful Dead tickets for, for the Grateful Dead and Dylan that year. And uh, I had one of the craziest experiences you'd ever want to like. Like I remember watching... The Midnight Express, I think it is, when the guy gets busted for hash and, and uh, somewhere in the Middle East, down in the 60s, and that is some scary shit. And I was like, Mexico jail, there's no cakewalk of any sort whatsoever. 
right? The, the prisons there, some of them like are walls with barbed wire on top, with no ceiling. And they don't have food. So you got to know somebody to get any food. And there's no toilet, it's dirt. And if it rains, it rains, right? So I thought I was going there. So it's crazy shit. What's up? Half a gram. <laughs> right? It's pretty harsh conditions for a half gram. Right? Oh, no shit. No shit. Um, I mean, any jail is pretty harsh conditions for anything. You know, you're racketeering and, and rolling millions. It's a whole different story. Don't be greedy, right? No one needs to be greedy like that. But um, pay your taxes and stuff, at least. But um, yeah, yeah, no, personal medicine. I've actually been incarcerated by all three federal governments in North America for personal medicine. Uh, the border of Canada, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in 2001 for suspicion. Never found anything. And um, twice by federal, Amer- American federal officers. Once in Yosemite uh, for less than half an ounce. And then in my dorm room in college, I had a bowl and they found a 10 strip. I was arrested for attempted manslaughter of a police officer because he barehanded a tennis trip. <laughs> yeah. But that was, so where does that put me? You know, these are all kind of like these crazy blessings. It was like, I was scared to death to, to run or grow. And, but I, I was growing my own. I was growing for some landowners that I ran their property, just a few plants in their, in their forest groves and stuff. And um, I started like experimenting with like micro closets and, and um, the other was gorilla dry farm that I got to experiment with, right? And I could go out and it, it, it wasn't like a production system. I didn't have a lot invested in it. It was, I go hiking all the fucking time. And that's what I do. I hike a lot. I always have, I love to hike. We used to go out and spend weekends with just a knife and a lighter and, and a wool blanket in the San Gabriel mountains. And, camp out and stuff right i love nature um and so i'd be out hiking and stuff and i just look at how plants grow and i'm studying forestry and and uh, fire management and how the earth works and um i'd start taking rooted plants out clones and seeing if they grow and how much water they take or how much water they didn't take or eventually i started johnny johnny seeding and i, I johnny seeded for like 25 years before i really figured it out but I can dry farm now and I can teach anybody how to dry farm now. I've got my first uh, student in California who's going on her second year of dry farming and just using what rain comes and uh, planting from seed. And it has to do with timing and understanding nature and the cycles in your area and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's, it's um, again, part of my blessings. I got to go to college. You know, I, I was like, in this prep school, and they're like, where are you going to go to college for? I'm like, man, I don't want to go to college. I want to go to college for? I don't want to see job. Fuck see jobs. I, I grew up with the richest people in the world as kids. Nobody's any better for having money, right? And I saw this, and some people were a lot fucking worse for it, right? And I'm not saying everybody with money is bad. There's some amazing people who have money, and they become even more amazing when they have money. They can do some fucking awesome shit for other people, right? And they can change the world for the better. 
but most people just put it in the hole and hoard it and do fun stuff for themselves. And it is what it is. It's money. Um, so but I had a bad taste in my mouth for it and never really was tasting it. Um, that brain farted. Let's see. Education, college. And so, so I'm studying forestry. And so, so yeah, they asked me, like, what are you going to study? I'm like, I just want to live in the woods. I just want to go live in, like, how are you going to live in the woods? I'm like, well, I guess I'll be a ranger. Like, you got to have a master's degree to be a ranger. Like, I guess I'm going to college then. And it made sense. My brother's studying forestry fire management. And I was like, you know that They can get into Cal Poly. And they actually, it was really hard to get into Cal Poly. So I um, got there. And um, amazing environment to learn and study and and do things that, that for instance we had a soil science teacher or group of teachers who weren't just soil science teachers they were the guys who in, developed the first two-part hydroponic system for nasa right so so like i want to learn how to grow food these guys are like the masters of understanding how food grows they figured out how to make hydroponics right and so when my brother studied underneath them and and he ended up growing some pretty good weed. But um, so, so uh, my, my, I really wanted to know about nature. I really wanted to know about how plants grow and how to grow the best weed I possibly could. And through studying forestry, fire management, and fire science and ecology, I got to learn so much about soils, about biology, plants, animal interactions, how nutrients are distributed throughout the landscape, nature. Um, what happens when landscapes start new? Progression. And we do things like take a horseshit and put it in a Dixie cup and study it under a microscope for three fucking months, right? It's like soil science stuff. Like what plant, what, what fungi, what bacteria, what virus comes in and eats the next one? And we we're studying all of that shit. And, uh, you really, really understand how things grow. And uh, at the same time, I'm working for this landowner who was the lady was an herbalist and she's teaching me sacred medicine herbalism stuff and how to how to hang your your, your tea herbs and stuff and what herbs heal you for for this or that and um went on a group went on a trip with my brother one time to the grand canyon into the havasupai indian reservation drove from la to the grand canyon in the back of the pickup truck and back and that was with some drunk potheads but i went again in college with a best friend dude just sent me email telling me his home is going to be an all-organic farm with with uh, ecotourism on it in montana best friend of my, and he's been working on this for years but now all of a sudden he's, he's like everything's changed and and now i'm putting the greenhouse on the property um so yeah we're in the grand canyon and, and, and we meet the medicine man down there and I got to talk to the medicine man for three hours without saying a word one day. And uh, they ended up inter um, introducing me to their sweat lodge. I'd been in a sweat lodge before, but they wanted me to teach them about this cannabis butter I developed for, I couldn't smoke when I was doing triathlons. And um, it, it, they ate some and disappeared for two days from their work site. And everybody in the village is like, they said they're coming to visit you. Where are they? They hate the green butter. I don't know. So, so yeah, these guys, these guys brought me into the the sweat lodge, and uh, we were speaking in tongues. They they were speaking their language, and I understood it. 
and conversing with them. They were asking me how to make this green better. And I actually was doing a cold process I developed back in the early 90s. Um, but they had a spiritual experience and a sacred experience. This guy is, I met him and he was, I don't know how to describe um, communing with Mescalito, right? He was riding the white horse. Um, and I, I was seven grams of dried into it when we um, met each other. I got an, actually a painting I've done, and I'm going to do another one where it's just two of us standing and talking in front of this waterfall in, in the Grand Canyon. Um, kind of cool. Yeah, yeah but, but everywhere I went, I'd meet these Native American folks, and they'd teach me the secrets of their uh, sacred rites and stuff, and, and, and little things about, not, they wouldn't tell me everything, but firefighting. I'd meet folks and they teach me stuff. And uh, I, I, my mom sent me my first sweat lodge when I was 18 years old at the at the Catholic school. Um, you know, coming out of there, it was almost like I I might go in the seminary and become a Jesuit priest. And prior to that, they, they were pretty adamant that I was going to go in the military and be special forces. Actually, at the age of 15, I went to special recruitment and in, in, in uh, what was it, the detection and recruitment and training program called Devil Pups. And the ROTC kids would go through it, whatever. But it so happens my grandfather started it. And so I went through it and they wanted me, they gave me a CPAP to come back as Special Forces as a recon ranger. But I was already conscious and says, no, I object. Um, priesthood didn't sound bad, but um, when my mom sent me on this, hike with these natives in Yosemite and I did my first sweat lodge on bloody area uh, right above the ridge of Bloody Canyon. Um, we had, um, I had, I had more mysticism and spirituality in four hours that sweat lodge than I had in four years of Jesuit college preparatory. Uh, and I, I, I ate lunch with the priests every day. These guys all had multiple doctorates and stuff. And we'd have these amazing conversations and talk about the future and the past and what is but in the sweat lodge there had been a slaughter in 1860s when white guys came in and, and the mariposa brigade formed up and it was kind of a vigilante anti uh, uh brigade or, or a militia that went in and chased down the last wild indians in california were uh, the awanichi in, in the yosemite valley and uh, they chased them like three years in a row and they finally caught up with them is now known as Bloody Canyon. And we were pretty close to there where, where we were camping and set up our sweat lodge. Um, three of the entities, spirits of the slain warriors came into the sweat lodge with us. And one of them, how else do you put it, possessed this medicine man and started singing ancient songs and tongues that all these natives were in. I was one of five white people and 30 in the, in the sweat lodge. And so these people knew their language and they're like, no, these are all old, old songs. This is, you know, our language evolved and this is something I don't understand. And, uh, but they did a full round of four songs. Uh, the ground was shaking as he would thump his foot into the ground. And um, everyone saw, everyone experienced it. There was glowing orbs over the, the rock, the, uh, the heat source, right? But these things were green. They weren't um, 
red like the rocks or whatever. Uh, some, so I, I've had these amazing experiences, the spirituality, the, the uh, sacred earth, sacred plant. It's, uh, that, and that's in the sweat lodges. I also have ever, I don't, I've never peyote. Um, I do have masculine cactus I grow, but I still haven't had a proper state of mind in, in place since I started growing those three or four years ago to even bother boiling it down and, and using it um, as a teacher. I've, I work more with little smoke and the mushroom. For, um, but the, I, I so also I use it. I hate to interrupt, but no, I, I, I want I've been dying to ask you what what yeah. was the message that you received from the medicine man? What was your message from the medicine man? Man, so they were they were so which which was the one in the in the, the sweat lodge the first time when, when he was possessed? Or the when I where, was uh, in the Grand Canyon. You had the conversation basically without words, because this I kinda went oh, in last yeah. night. This is yeah, where yeah, I that, kinda went in last night. That, I almost want to go. I almost want to go walk down and, and, and show you the painting. Um, are you awake, Sadie? Can you go grab that pastel for me? You know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to get my daughter to help. That's not happening. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll do this. Let's see. We'll take a little walk real quick here. Um, so we. You know when you're in, you can't talk, right? And but you're you can converse. You you've been there. It's a whole nother reality space, time, place. Let's see. I think. Can you see? Does it come can't across? See. Do I need yeah. more light, or is it working? Oh no, it's working. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, what's going on here is when I first went there, that whole area we're standing in was a big old pond of water, actually. And um, a huge flood had come through. And um, a dam had broken up canyon and wiped out a huge portion of the village and, and these tourist attractions of these beautiful pools that were made of travertine. And um, so... To him and his people, that waterfall is a spiritual god entity, right? And he was in prayer, deep meditation with the, if we want to call it the idol of this waterfall and situation, right? So, so he was he was doing um, a, a deep contemplation as to so. The water features of the Havasupai, the valley of the blue-green water, uh, the people of the blue-green water, the Havasupai. Um, he, their entire income was derived from, they were corn farmers. They literally, they grow corn in the valley and that's what they eat, right? And um, pumpkins and beans, okay? And, but anything else comes from tourist dollars. And the tourist attraction just washed away. It was these beautiful pools that were 20 feet deep, this azure blue-green water, okay? And these white to red travertine pools that built up over thousands of years of this mineralized water slowly trickling over sticks and building up this beautiful stonework that, that makes these ponds and would cascade. And there was campgrounds thrown through there. And, and, and like, you 
it's like a two-year waiting list to get down there anymore. And now you can fly in on a helicopter for the day. But back in the day, it was you walk or you rode horses, and it's 12 miles from the nearest road, and it's 60 miles. And you couldn't get in except for waiting list, right, back 20, 30 years ago even. So it's a really popular spot. Their entire income for the village was destroyed by this flood. So he's in deep meditation, how do we fix this? He's asking the waterfall. He's, he's saying, he's in prayer with the universe. He's reaching into the Akashic record is how we can say it in our language, right? He's going into the multiverse to look at what's the future that we need to create to sustain ourselves and be able to stay here as a village and not have to go back out of this canyon and live as in, in the white man's world, right? They literally would have perished. They couldn't figure it out. And the solution that they came up with, though, was that they had built riffraff, put rock into uh, metal caging, and let the mineral build up around that and deepen the pool that way. So, but that's where, that's what we were in this deep contemplation um, when we integrated our mind is to find a solution is to recreate that canyon and make it as beautiful as it was before the flood and uh you know an income source um yeah that's kind of a weird uh little but, but that's what it was yeah um uh i have not been back there since myself my, my buddy who i was with on that trip did make it back there since then and uh but you see pictures of it you see it it's on the instagram it's um i've done a couple of beautiful paintings of it and Man, I'll tell you, here's a great story from down there. And there's a bunch of them. But there's a couple of waterfalls. And the upper falls is the Supai Falls, and the lower one's called Mooney Falls. And the Mooney Falls is like 360 feet. It's, it's fucking amazing, right? And these deep blue pools and red rock around it. And it's crazy because the animals have, like, adapted to the color scheme down there. They'll have, like, red and blue fur or feather or scale scheme at their reptile. Um, and uh, there's an outhouse over the top, about 80 yards above the top of the uh, tall waterfall. And the outhouse's door is stuck open. And you're looking out into the Grand Canyon doing your business. The most, one of the most beautiful freaking views I've ever sat on throne. Well, I'm doing there doing my business. And I noticed this man walking by with this kid. And it wasn't just walking by with his kid, but he was carrying this kid. And his kid was a full-grown man who had um, no motor capacity. He was basically a skin and bones, skeleton and a mind, right? And his dad carried him down. This, they only take the horses so far, the 12 miles, and then it's another three miles down to the waterfalls. And his dad carried his son down to see this stuff. And that was one of my first times I ever saw true, true love, unconditional, like, you, you, I love you, and I'm going to experience you, the greatest things on this earth. And this guy's carrying his, and it's, it's weight, it's dead weight, literally. And, uh, I mean, juxtaposed to the meal ticket in Buster Scruggs, the guy with no arms and no legs who, who who's, speak so eloquently and the guy ends up 
like buying a chicken and leaving the guy by the side of the road in a snowstorm to die. Um, you know, what is, what is humanity and why do we, why do we care? What makes the difference between a human? They said that empathy was the thing back in the day that, that says this is the difference between an animal and a human was when they found somebody whose leg had been mended and that meant that somebody they had a broken leg, somebody else had to take care of them and feed them, right? So empathy happened, right? So, so here we are, and that's, that's the biggest thing as a human being and, and being a spiritual being I, to me is like not causing suffering to anybody else and if we're not alleviating other people's suffering, right? Um, you know, what is, to me, in all my contemplations and deep meditations, and I've done some that have run 20 years plus, um, what is the meaning of life? We all ask that question, right? And the best thing I can come back to is to be as happy as possible at all times without infringing on the happiness of anybody else. And so where does that come back to? Like when we eat food, are we eating food that was created through promotion processes? Are we eating food that were created through regenerative processes that makes the earth a more diverse and strong entity in itself, right? Um, do so, somebody was asking about the desert pupfish the other day, right? And and, and they're responding to a doctor who spent his whole life studying the desert pupfish, being asked like, "What good is it? What 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 does it matter if we lose the desert pupfish?" And the doctor's response to people who asked that was like, "What good are you? What does it matter if we lose you? What good have you done for the rest of the world, right?" So um, you know, all of this comes around. It's like um back there at the age of 15 going to uh that 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 uh jesuit public or catholic all boys prep school and somebody showed up with jack herrera's book emperor emperor wears no clothes or new clothes whatever it is um we talked all about him back in the day and i had no idea we'd just been harangued and harassed and, and beaten by cops for having some grass for as long as i can remember and I, I had cousins that were Pakaloa Grower Association in Hawaii in the 70s. I had, you know, it had been around before I smoked. It was part of the family. And, um, but that was the other side of the family from the grandma I was living with. And I went and asked her and I learned about this and uh, Jack Herrera's book and hemp and stuff and, and, and how the yellow journalism happened. And uh, she says, Grandma, did you have hemp growing on the farm your little girl did grand, great grandpa grow hemp and she gets a twinkle in her eye and she goes back into her room and into her cedar hope chest and pulls out this brown paper pear fletch and she unfolds it and unties it and hands me this beautiful silk hemp vest and it's fancy woven like like um, a irish sweater right they're not working an irish sweater all stitched in the or woven into the front and then there was fine embroidery that was bright as day along the collars and stuff. And I, amazingly beautiful. It's like, this is from the old country, which had to have been before like 1917. And here we are in 87, 86, 87. And, and it's like, this is amazing. So I find out then that like, yeah, my ancestors were hemp farmers. And literally my dad is the only generation that didn't grow cannabis in all of my ancestral history that I know of. Um, so my, my grandmother, I went and laid her to rest and um, 
the family village in, in North Dakota and found the uh, found the old family cross, the Iron Cross from. Uh, so they were Austrians who went to be military military officers and farmers in um, Belarus for the Tsar and the White Army. And then when the uh, um, Bolsheviks came through, they kind of split the Reds afterwards. But yeah, so he was, my great great grandfather was actually murdered by Bolsheviks in North Dakota. And my family established their uh, H-E-R-T-I um, gravestones and iron crosses are all still there right next to the anglicized H-E-R-D-Y, which during the depression, my uncles, great uncles are trying to get a job. And uh, they had to whiten up even more, even though we're as white as you can get. Um, they were immigrants with a strange sounding name. So they changed it to DY when somebody was calling out the, for these, this particular name, same name, different spelling. But the people who had signed up for the job list didn't show up. So they jumped on the truck and took the job. And that changed our name to HRDY. Um, yeah. So, but anyhow, back in the day, there you start learning about the hemp, and it's like, wow, okay, let's let's change the world. Let's get back to hemp instead of petroleum wars and stuff. We already knew we were in petroleum wars and fighting for oil back then, in the late '80s, and pollution and uh, global warming. I, I knew about global warming. The priest told me about it in the mid '80s. Um, you may or may not uh, understand it or believe it. Belief and understanding are two different things. Um, Beliefs are things that you don't have an understanding of or proof. An understanding is like, hey, I got proof of this. This is all the information. I understand the information. This is how this works. They gave me an understanding of that way back when. The oil companies had an understanding of it in the 70s. I can't see any different. It doesn't, doesn't snow here like it used to, that's for sure. Um, I like to make it uh, a better place for seventh generation after me. Right, and this I'm the seventh generation from the people who came before me here to America. Um, my daughter is a, the daughter of the American Revolution, and, uh, and we all know like things like alcohol ain't that great for us. Cannabis doesn't. And those are all things like we observe this, but fuck, they threw us in jail for smoking weed. Um, but I persisted and persisted with my own gig. Um, my brother. And we set out to start smoking or, or breeding skunk. He ended up getting a hold of a bunch of Hindu Kush seeds in the early 90s, selecting them out, and getting a system set up with houses and producing pretty large quantities and was Snoop Dogg's first um, contract grower in the early 90s. And so he had this Hindu Kush that he selected that was as skunky as skunky gets. He grew it all with that two-part formula from hydropon uh, uh, general hydroponics. And I was all about organic. And he would, had left forestry and got into biochemistry. He ended up getting masters in demology and, and biochem. Um, and we would get in these arguments over organic or plant doesn't care how it gets its nutrients. And uh, as long as it gets its nutrients. And I'll tell you what, he grew some stanky, danky, sticky, icky. It, um, and, and I've heard people talk about it who, who smoked it back in, in the day and, and they didn't know it was him. They just knew where it came from, said the location and described it. I'm like, yep, yeah, that was my brother's stuff. And it was all two-part. And these guys are hardcore microbial dudes uh, in California. 
who have massive business selling microbes. And they're saying the best weed I ever smoked in the world was my brother's two-part hydro drum, right? And back in the 90s. And they're like, what is skunk? And they're describing it as this crazy skunky stuff. And we're all trying to strive for that with our full soils, right? What the fuck is that skunk? Anyhow, my brother ended up having um, several houses and, and crazy shit happened. And kid ended up dying at the clone house from an OD of, of heroin. and. Uh, that shut that all down pretty much. But um, eventually I ran into out here after I bought my house, some guy um, who worked with him showed up as one of his protégés. And, and I worked with him here for a little bit. And uh, he ended up leaving me with the clone of that original cut that Hindu Kush, my brother, selected. And I was growing that for a while. And uh, so I, I, out of college, ended up getting a job as a federal officer in Los Angeles, of all things. <laughs> right? Really? With a tree cop. For the that one shocked me what? Yeah, yeah, no, I was a tree cop for the Forest Service. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, right? Um, that makes me feel and, uh, a little better. It makes me feel a little better. I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> but I was a federal officer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I wasn't a tax man. No, I wasn't. I, I literally had a, a beat, and, and we drove around and made sure. Primarily, it was people were paying for the new fee program. Um, but we opened up places that had been locked up because the logging had been shut down due to the owl debacle, and there was no funding for the Forest Service anymore. So they ended up. Uh, but my heart was in firefighting, really, and uh, the state of Utah found me. Offered me a job running the inmate fire crew for the state. And uh, I'm like, hell yeah. I always want my own crew. And uh, I come out and start running the inmate fire crew. And, uh, you know, we passed medical in California in 96. And I figured it was all good there. I didn't have to deal with figuring that stuff out from people anymore, even though I'd been, that had been a mission of mine for so long. It's like, man, firefighting is so fucking fun. Talking about thrill sport, you can't, like I get to rappel out of helicopters in the burning forest, 270 feet down a rope, right? I mean, give me a, give me a shot of, of adrenaline. Um, and then they let us sleep out at night and, and squirt hoses and roll in the mud and play with matches. And, you know, sometimes they have to light the whole side of the mountain on fire to backfire and stuff. It's, you can't pay to go have that kind of fun. It doesn't pay very well to go have that kind of fun, but like I was doing good. I enjoyed it. It was great, but I didn't know my neck had been broken playing football. And so like my hands fucking always hurt. I had issues and they told me it was carpal tunnel. So I just kept getting more and more injuries thinking it was nothing. And cannabis was still the only thing that helped me. Um, I wrote a book about firefighting. It tells all about my experience with these inmates, or of a huge part of it. It's pretty crazy. You know, I talk about teaching, treating people like human beings, and, and everybody's equal and, and equal rights to justice. And uh, it's partly why I, I I I don't even ask you when somebody says they, they need cancer medicine. Like I never charge for it. Like you deserve to live. And I know God is within this plant because it will kill the cancer within you if you consume this, right? And you will live, and you will have life within you still. And God is. Whatever, we I mean, that's a huge discussion. What is God, right? Just the thought and the vibration, or is it some dude on a throne with a beard, right? Uh, it's a vibration. But 
Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, here I am in Utah with, with uh, this job running the inmate crew, and, and I'm, I'm puffing on my own time to deal with my spinal injuries. And have this great rapport with the inmates because I treat them like human beings and I want to be my firefighter crew and not a bunch of inmates, right? And I'm teaching them woodcraft and I'm teaching forestry and I would do like ropes course exercises with them to get them to work as a team. And the correction officers hated it. They hated that whenever we'd be out firefighting, I'd eat some, meet some Native Americans. They'd teach me about their sacred rights. And, you know, the correction officer like, I've been, I've been asking about that stuff for 20 years. I'm like, I didn't ask. I'm not you, right? I'm me. And um, we had, uh, for instance, a, a Muslim, a black Muslim on the crew, and he lost his religious gold necklace. And the belief was that it got thrown in the garbage and hauled off 30 miles. I drove him there to go look, dig through the fucking dumpster to find his necklace. Right? Because it, it is... It's his right. It's his, it's his religious freedom, and it wasn't hurting anybody for us to do that, right? The next thing that comes along is we've got a bunch of Native Americans on the crew, and they're fighting for their right to sweat lodge. And I've been sweating since I, I was 18. And uh, I said, yeah, I, I think you guys should be able to, and, and I'll provide the firewood. And so I started bringing firewood for them. But at the same time, the correction officer is like, you're, you're giving weed to the Inmate and like no, not doing that. And uh, but but it came around to where like I couldn't work with the inmates anymore. I didn't get fired. I told them straight up I smoke weed, but I'm not gonna piss test because I ain't doing it on the job. The boss doesn't think so. The contract that I signed with the state set up here says that unless the boss says he thinks I'm using it and it's detrimental to my job, I don't gotta pee. You think I'm using it? And he says no, I ain't peeing. And they're like whatever, you ain't work with the inmates anymore. So I split, and at the same freaking time I lose the job, my girlfriend, who I was ready to marry, ends up like going cold turkey on her fucking meds for anxiety and depression or whatever it was. I'm not exactly sure, but we all know somebody who went cold turkey on their meds and went suicidal. And this stuff could all, cannabis replaces all those meds. We know that now. And had I known it then, she wouldn't have been dead, but she freaking the next day we made love all day Christmas and two days later she freaking took a long gun to her heart threw her heart out right um kind of devastated me to say the least I, I well, drank a lot of yeah yeah hey 20 years ago and I, I it sucks but it's it's like I've been able to tell these stories to help other people right like I've lived through this shit and it's hard it ain't it ain't fucking easy um and it's, it's affecting my relationships and stuff but, but, you know, had she had access to cannabis and medical marijuana, right, that shit never would have happened. The strains that we have now that we've bred out and we've isolated, we now know, like, through allegorical, uh, anecdotal, um, and, and they're figuring this shit out. This strain helps 90% of people with that. This strain helps that, right? And, yeah, it sucks Laura's gone. Um, but, uh, you know, things, things happen. So... Things that happened after that, though, was the next year I uh, ran into the inmates firefighting again after I didn't work with them no more. I was I was working with a helicopter, and we got stuck on top of a mountain. Me and 13 of these guys I had worked with for two years, and, and 
and uh, they started asking me how it's going. And I was hurting from from both losing the job out of college that I thought I had gone to college for, running the inmate crew, and Laura killing herself. And these guys, they full circled me on being a human being. It was fucking awesome. Uh, one of them's like, dude, when I met you, I'd never had a job in my life. And now I have a work ethic. Next one says, when I met you, I weighed 350 pounds. Now I'm a lean, mean, 180-pound working machine. And another guy says, man, I, I, no one ever gave me respect in my life before I met you. Now I have self-respect. And 13 of these guys went around the circle and all told me how I made their life a better life because I treated them as human beings, right? And uh, it's, just, it's just all part of how, why I do what I do. I, I, I got some privilege and I'm going to exercise it. Um, and... and so, so treating those Native Americans as human beings and giving them their firewood for their sweat lodges, unbeknownst to me, there was also a white guy in jail with them fighting for his right. He'd grown up on a uh, Native American reservation, third generation, and had been sweating his whole life. His dad had been sweating his whole life, and his, his grandparents had sweat. And... Um, this is crazy. It gets pretty so, intertwined here. Oh, go ahead. Ask. When you talk uh, sweating, are you talking about like going into like a sauna and like, you know, taking yourself to basically uh, a point of dehydration to where you, you know, you're putting yourself into that hallucinogen state. Your body's kind of in that panic mode and you've, you're starting to slip into to where you've opened your mind up. I don't know that it's exactly the same thing as sauna. Um, there's different things going on when you're in a sweat lodge. You've got, now I do have a sauna here that I use and I call it my urban sweat lodge, but that's not the same thing at all. Um, they can get really fucking hot in, in the sweat lodge and you can do a hot moist heat, but you've got fresh sagebrush. So you don't burn yourself. You literally, it's so hot in there, you will scald. Okay. So I, you, yes and no. Okay. Here in Utah, there's a white guy who killed people doing sweat lodges that weren't proper. Okay. There's, there's another guy who baked people to death and put them into a mud clay enclosure. Okay. So it's not just, you're not just heating yourself up and, and, and going into the delirious state. That's not what it's happening uh, any more than I think, like, for instance, if, if you consider going to a Grateful Dead concert and dancing for six hours, a religious experience or an ecstatic experience, right? It's kind of, it's kind of like that. You don't have to take hallucinogen to do that. I can also fight fire. I used to, we used to fight fire 24 hour shifts nonstop. Okay. Triathlon. Huradora distance runners okay the you have the this you know about the herdoris distance runners these guys are run no i don't oh yeah so they run like 240 miles these guys and it's a religious experience in mexico they're they it's a tribe and and they're they're peyote eaters but they're not eating peyote for this they run as a prayer and they'll run and they're running they run barefoot and they run through the desert and yeah. In high mountains and shit. Yeah, no, these, these uh, check out the Her- uh, Horadora tribe in Mexico, right? There's um, a group of people in 
I believe it's an Orthodox Russian um, group that they spin. Okay, they get in this ecstatic spinning, and it can spin for days where they're just spinning nonstop, and it's a religious experience. And yes, you so you transcend. You definitely leave what we would call normal reality. You leave your standard state of consciousness. You're in there. You're breathing. You have to breathe. It's hot, so you can't really breathe without breathing through or think a sage brush over your face. Okay, and they're throwing sage. So you're getting smoke burning. You're throwing sage on there. You're sweating, and you're singing prayer songs. The prayer songs have meaning and focus, right? And so you're meditating on these thoughts of meaning and focus. Um, like any meditation, you're going into these different levels of your, your mind's capacity. So with or without drugs, we can put ourselves into flow state, right? You, you know, like athletes do. The, as, a, as an extreme skier, that's something I would do is I would approach um, what would make people cry or throw up or shake their knees because it's so fucking death-defying scary of a cliff covered with snow. I'd skip to it backwards and jump into it backwards because I'm at that point completely one with the universe and in the flow state. I've attained uh, one with. Okay. So these are, there's all sorts of ways of getting there. Um I used to get there body surfing and, and some of the craziest stuff is when you're body surfing with a friend and you're, and you're flowing and all of a sudden you're like, you guys are like a couple of dolphins and you're, you're in flow. Right. And then I didn't know what it was when I was a kid. Um, artists go into it. Um, and there's, there's ways to put yourself there uh, through meditation, through exercises, through shock state. Um, so, so, in the sweat lodge, you're going into this ecstatic state of deep meditation and prayer. There is a lot of heat involved. Um, the Native American church ceremony involves peyote, right? And so you're going into a whole nother level where you're hallucin you know, you're you're communing with the spirit. At that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> So, like, I've, I've only ever consumed cannabis with the sweat lodge or, or nothing at all. And you still get into these amazing states of, of whether you want to call it a deep meditative state or... Um, so, I playing. can't help but wonder, sage is used, you know, in a lot of practices to keep ward away spirits. So, yes. is there something significant about breathing in it? Are you, like, filtering out? Well, uh, like so, a bad presence when you breathe in through the sage. The latent heat of evapotranspiration is pretty much what I think what's happening. Um, one kilocalorie per cc of water raised one calorie Celsius or one degree Celsius. It, the latent heat, so you know, water feels cold because it evaporates, right? When you sweat you cool because it's evaporating. That's the latent heat of evaporation. So that's like uh, there's moisture inside that. And so you're breathing through hot air through it and it's bringing a little bit of moisture off it and it cools the air. Um, so when you're in this super hot environment, 
the superheated environment, the smallest amount of molecular activity changes can be huge. I, I one time was burned over by a forest fire with 80 foot flames for nine minutes, with no shelter. And had I breathed a full breath of air, I would have cooked the inside of my lungs and not walked away from it. Um, I was puffing air in and out and I dug a shallow, maybe two inches into the ground, into the hard ground where my face was to get that much of a declivity to have the cool pool. Cold air goes down, right? It's heavier, hot goes up. And so whatever coolness could possibly from the 600 to 1200 degree air around me was pooling in to where it was only 120, 200 degrees of dry air by my mouth. And then I take that in my mouth and cool it. And then in, kind of try and inhale it and puff a little bit out. Mostly I just wasn't breathing. But so yeah, molecular activity changes and, and so a little bit of stage there makes a huge difference. The guys up front are more adapted to it. The people in the back are the newbies. Still freaking hot in one of those. The one I, that first one I went in where I saw the entities, um, they had 24 skull-sized stones that had been cooked in a fire overnight and were glowing red hot when we brought, uh, brought them in there. And uh, 30 people crammed into a willow-framed tarpaulin-covered space. And then they throw a little water on there and they throw some sage on there and you're cooking. It's it's pretty intense. Um, so so, but you're you're generally you, you sing the way it works. You go in and there's a lot of ritual and and to um, um, how you go in and, and and how you set everything up and and uh, it all has to do with intention, right? And a lot of a lot of like when we grow our weed and we want to grow good weed, we we got to grow it with intention to come out with. Uh, was a good product, right? So the same thing with setting up these prayer lodges. Um, you go, you get, you do four rounds. So you're not in there generally the whole time. You can come on out and cool off in between sessions, right? And they can be a half hour to an hour each session. And uh, it's, yeah, that's it's, it's a sweat lodge and, and um, People have uh, communal talking going on in there. You have uh, discussion about uh, what's going on in your life. You have you know, all, all these things. It, it's, it's prayer meeting. I don't know how else to put it, to describe it in white man's terms. Um, people who are used to going to Christian Sunday church, right? But it's totally different. It ain't the same thing, and you can't use the same terms, right? The, that first one we went to, crazy. Like, there's a chunk of granite. And this is how they found the spot to camp at. They've been doing this prayer hike going up and over the Sierras from where the tribes lived. And they would take the ancient trade goods, just a symbolic walk, and, um, and do these sweat lodges. And, and um, somehow I got to connect with them. And um, Oh. Another brain fart. Well... Anyhow, let's get back to where I was with, instead of back in Yosemite, I was, I was here in, in Utah and, and we, were, we were getting these, uh, you know, I had to leave the fire crew, but I, I, had, I had provided the firewood for these guys and the white guy was sweating, the, the natives were sweating, they got their right to sweat like This actually went to the federal courts here in Utah and they got their right, but I didn't know, I was gone. I had gone off to go fight fire other places and then come back here to ski in the winter. 
and um, it, it ended up being a ruling in the circuit court, Supreme Court, and then the the Act of Congress got passed in the year 2000, and, and it's the let's see incarcerated peoples and Native Lands Repatriation Act of 2000. And essentially it said that, yes, everyone in prison is entitled to their First Amendment rights. Native Americans are allowed to have their sweat lodge. They, they can't have peyote in jail. You know, the, the Christians can't have wine, they can have juice, okay? Um, so these guys can have their sweat lodge. But the other thing it said was that, also was that white people who are sincere in their beliefs about sacred earth, sacred plants, and the entheogenic properties of plants, which means God within. It's usually associated with um, what we call hallucinogens, um, mushrooms, peyote, cactuses, uh, the vines, uh, ayahuasca, uh, DMT. These things would be considered the um, more commonly understood is, is what we call an entheogen, plant with God within. For me, cannabis is an entheogen. Actually, for me, all plants are. And I don't consider myself a Native American. I don't consider myself one of these uh, American, Native American church people, nor even the Moody's, or Moonies, who was the lawsuit that I was providing the firewood for. And so we have here in Utah, there's a couple of different factions of the Oklahoma Native American Church. And there's different levels of which people participate in using plant medicine in that. For me, all plants are sacred. And it goes more back to my Druidic roots and my Celtic roots. And um, it's kind of hard to really run the progression. I mean, Roman Catholic Church displaced my ancestors and beliefs and brought it back to me. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Because there I was at Catholic, uh, Catholic school with the priest telling me, like, God comes to us each differently. Okay, relativity. One of the first revelations I was given when I first communed with speaking to God or the higher power or the Akashic, the, the realm of all knowing in the universe, is that any one person that says they have the right way, the one way, the one and only way, does not. And it took me a long time to figure it out. But... Relativity equals MC squared. We've all come to this point in, in where we are here and now with a whole different set of circumstances, right? Uh, behind me, there's an oil painting. Let's see here. All right, no two people can stand and look at any of my oil paintings and see the same thing, right? Because not only you're standing side by side, you have a different perspective of it there, but you've all come to that same place through a whole different set of experiences. So well, some person might focus on the young woman. Somebody else might see the mushrooms. Let's see. Yeah. And somebody else might focus on the fruit, right? But even focusing on the fruit, it might be that somebody sees it being more red than someone else sees it more yellow. Okay. We can't see the same thing because we've had all these different experiences and what attracts our eye and our mind's focus and stuff is not going to be the same thing. Um, so, so, but, but for me, you know, I, I, I believe that all, all plants are sacred. I had a, a arborist service. It was called tree love. 
okay, because I love trees more than I love most people. Most people don't care about trees. Right? Um, you know, I wish I could love all people. And I think, I think as individuals, we're all freaking awesome. Um, but we've been manipulated by these different sets of experiences and information, right? That sets us to not see a flat earth or sees the earth as flat. And there's nothing I can do as somebody who's worked with satellites making maps, right? As well as hand surveying, I can do to convince somebody that the earth has curvature, right? Um, it's in their mind, they believe it's flat. Your mind creates reality. Our thoughts create our reality, right? And so everything that creates our thoughts is not going to be the same thing as anyone else's. And so our realities are all completely different. It's a pretty heavy thought process, but yeah, here we are. So it also happens with cannabis. Do we, you know, um, anyone says they have the one way to grow cannabis? They don't. There's a whole bunch of ways and you go through what, all these different things and what's going to work for your system, right? Um, which cannabis... Uh, for the longest time, everyone says, man, I grow the best weed in the world, right? And you know what? They do for them. They have their set of ailments. They have their set of chemistry. And they found a strain that works for them. And they found a harvest point that works for them. And they hand it to their friends. And they say, man, what the fuck? This sucks. Man, I don't want to talk shit to you about your weed. But it's not the best in the world. And, and you're going, man, my weed's the best. And it is for you. Because it satisfies what you need it to, right? Um, and that, 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 that was a hard thing for me to start teaching to people and get them to understand, uh, you know, because I used to swing it. And one day I handed mine to somebody and now I'm, and it wasn't me saying I grow the best, everyone who smoked it. And one guy says, don't you have something that like is less couch walking that picks me up? Because I can't smoke that. that. That'll put me to sleep. It's uh yeah yeah um let's see so yeah that that law got passed in 2000 and i didn't know about it and um some more stuff like so so they were saying it gets pretty crazy intertwined i have um this fellow i called my mentor for years but uh rob raleigh is his name he's passed away now and he was the first 20 acre legal tax grower in Washington state or the United States or the world, you could probably say. Um, but yeah, he had the first legal 20 acre farm. It was in Washington uh, under their program. And uh, he had been growing for years and years and years and years. He actually walked the entire hippie trail back between 70 and like 89. And that was when people used to travel around the world to go to the sweet spots where cannabis grew wild in situ land race. And he would go, he was blessed his parents were Nobel Prize winning cancer researchers. So he was what we would call a trust funder. And, uh, but one of the, he's one of those people who had money and it made him a better person because he was able to help other people with it. And uh, he traveled the world and collected cannabis from the places that grew naturally back in the day and spent years and years and years breeding it together. And uh, one day the feds came and shut him down. And luckily, he had the wear for all for hiring a proper lawyer to not uh, go put away for 20 years or whatever. Um, they didn't take his property or whatever. And um, it was all right about the same time this lawsuit went through. And unbeknownst to me, I got to know this guy skiing. We'd show up for first chairs at the ski resort and go smoke and have a prayer in the morning while we're waiting for 
for the lifts to open. And, and skiing itself can be kind of a prayer all day. You're communing with nature and whatnot. But uh, getting to know these folks there, and they all agreed that, that I kind of grew the best weed they ever smoked. So um, at one point, this fellow Rob says to me, Alex, you know, you grow the best weed in the world and continue. And he hands me a pack of seeds. Next was a few different things. He had, he had gathered a few different strains from G13 and hash plant and um, some northern lights and stuff that he gave me. But but it was the last pack of seeds the feds didn't get out of his life's work. 26 years, 22 land races from around the world all mashed up. And uh, he get, so he gave me his life's work, and I, I bred that to my brother's super skunky Hindu Kush, and uh, bred that back together a couple of times and. Uh, Eventually, somebody in 2008 brought me San Fernando Valley OGK, and I crossed that in there, and that was the last thing that, that got me to where I am today with my mothership plant that I've been. Uh, so basically, it's it's uh, you know, 60 years between three scientists, my brother, my mentor, me, and, and I'm like the least of the educated scientists in the group. Um, but I'm taking it now and breeding it out to other land races and getting it to where there's amazing medicine available for other people. That's that's basically what, what got me on the, the Future Cannabis Project and introduced me to you was, was uh, getting those seeds out to the world. And uh, we figured, like, yeah, I got to tell my story so people know what these seeds are about. And uh, yeah, so basically I've been breeding since 85 off and on and, and uh, I got a handle on it. Went to college to understand it and I produce some some good stuff, and, and then um, it turns out that I have a First Amendment right to do it. I'm uh, I'm, I'm I'm an outlaw, and I'm not an outlaw. So it's you know a sacred plant, sacred. I've healed myself. I've had more than that one story with with opiates I've dealt with, and uh, doctors have almost killed me in other instances with prescription for ear infection, for instance put me into fucking renal failure. I went from having a headache with a sinus to pissing blood and can't get off the floor because of the pills it gave me. They interacted with with the coffee and beer and they gave me renal failure. And I told the guy I drink coffee and beer. But he was a Mormon doctor and didn't even consider that somebody would, yeah, didn't read the chart. And so it's a uh, it's a crazy, uh, crazy thing, but um, I've had three warrantless searches of the home, and they were literally flying a helicopter on, coming after me a fourth time when uh, I found out about this old law helped get passed through Congress 20 years or 15 years prior at that point. And uh, it's like, wait a second. Wait a second, my buddy, my buddy who was a student of mine through one of the online courses, your group's PFA, where I was teaching uh, living soil, um, he says, uh, he's like, you got to check this shit out, you know, you, know, you, you need to protect yourself, you, you deserve to be able to produce your own medicine and stuff, I was just teaching about tomatoes and basil and stuff, and uh, just, just barely producing enough for myself and some other people at the time, and uh, He's, he's like, uh, like I'm getting shut down. I, I literally have PTSD from the cops. You know, 
chasing dude, all, all the shit I've gone through over the years and uh, machine guns in Mexico, right? Uh, I, I was kicked out of my bed at 18 by police because I smoked. Um, my mom kicked me out of the house and stuff. I was at Cedric. Um, I've, I've smoked a joint with her since then. She didn't smoke it with Cedric. Um, The uh, the the whole the whole thing with the legality, yeah. So they they came after me several times, and and like awareness. Um, I don't know. Great spirit tells me whatever. But every every time I was able to be like a step ahead of them, scrub the house out, whatever. And uh, shit was scrubbed when they were flying the helicopter. And he told so. Oh, that's what I was says. You need to take a look at this. And I look at the law, and I'm like, yeah. If I lived on a reservation, sure. He says, no, 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 no. You need to. You need to look closer, and I look at it. I'm like, oh wow, man, that, that gives me some rights at my home. But I don't have, I don't, I'd have to go to the Supreme Court to back this up if they came knocking. He's like, no, 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 look at it, look at it. And I look at it, and this, this did go to the Supreme Court right here in Utah. And I look at the dates, I'm like, man, that, that was me. I did this. And so it was like, yeah, this is really kind of. And I mentioned it to my mentor, like. Two years later, he's like, yeah, dude, that, that was, I paid for that. I paid the lawsuits for that. And let me tell you some more. And he starts telling me about how he had shipped a pound of flour to Hawaii. It was legally a religious sacrament and under the First Amendment and backed up by this act of Congress. And it had been confiscated by the post office and it was destroyed. And at the time, a pound was worth $5,000. And um, so he's like, they start inquiring, like, hey, what happened to our package? And they're like, oh, yeah, that was compensated, destroyed. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. That's, that's our religious sacraments. Like, no, 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 you guys are trafficking drugs. And like, oh, no, 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 you, there's no drugs here. This is cannabis. This is a sacrament of our church. And so uh, they ended up going into circuit court again and Supreme Court, uh, federal court circuit in uh, the West Coast there. And they sued saying, hey, you got to pay us five grand for that or replace it. And the ruling was from the first case, yeah, you're right. Um, We screwed up. We're sorry. We shouldn't have done that. But we were following standard government procedure and post office procedure. And so there's nothing we can actually do. There is no funds in the government to repatriate your loss. We're sorry. Yes, you're right. You can mail your medicine through the mail. Yes, you can sell it, send your sacraments, but we can't pay you back. We're sorry. And so he says, all right, well, we're going to take this another step. We are now suing you to prevent this from ever happening again in the future. You can't do this. And that one, they like didn't even, they just like, but they put it on the burner and they left it there for like two years and, and never addressed it because it's like, they knew exactly like, yeah, but we can't, we can't even do this because the other bullshit in our freaking system says we have to. So Basically, we won all three of those uh, cases and um, very well established through, through case law and, and, and the uh, and statute and back in the First Amendment. When enacted Congress, it says, um, 
I can heal myself and I can heal others with plant medicine. And uh, I'm, as long as I'm not like racketeering and, and trying to set up a dispensary, there really is nothing um, anyone's going to do. What, what it comes down to is and like even this whole story on, on your show or the other show or whenever I proclaim this stuff, essentially it gives them notice and any law enforcement officer that is given this notice that, Hey, this is, this is my religious right. And there's two hours of me explaining this kind of like outline. There's so much more that I can describe my experiences and my religious background. And, um, you know, I never got buggered by a priest, but I used to do infantogens with priests, Catholic priests. Right. Um, I used to sleep out 200 nights a year without a tent under the stars, communing with nature. It's just like this, I mean, ain't something everyone does, right? And not everyone's going to say, there, there's a lot of people who might qualify for sacred or sacred plant, sacred medicine. Um, but most people who are just hippy-dippy, who think, well, duh, they, they ain't hanging their clothes on the line, right? <laughs> they're not growing all their food. and They're not, it, there, there is a sincerity, um, a level of sincerity that, that this requires, right? It doesn't require you to be, Roman to be a Catholic, right? Or Irish to be Catholic, right? Um, and the, the Catholics were allowed to drink their wine during prohibition. And that is the basis of the you know understanding of the religious rights here. And so under our constitution, other statutes in our constitution state that like all these other laws that I've been harassed, harangued and thrown in jail over cannabis over um, these years are what we call conspiracy under color of law right or color of law and then if the officer becomes informed there of my rights and he continues to engage this color of law it becomes a conspiracy under color of law and he is liable or she is liable to prosecution under constitution for violating my civil rights and subject to federal prison right so so it's a pretty powerful stance once it's taken and it's legitimate. There are people who've tried to take this stance in California and set up uh, dispensaries and they were shut down because it was not, you know, legit. It was not me. That's not what I'm doing. I'm, I'm healing myself and other people. Um, yeah. Um, in my opinion, cannabis is the best medicine there is. I'm right there with you. You know, uh, it's all about quality of life and just, you know, you know, so a lot of the medicines that are out there are so brutal, you know, I, for what they do, what little bit of help they do give you, I don't think they provide a quality of life, you know, more, it's more of a degradation of life through pharmaceutical medicine. And, and it's, it's sad to, uh, to see it be pushed every day on TV, you know, commercial after commercial. Oh. Yeah. And it, it's sickening. You know, I was with one of my daughters the other day and she was set back when I referred to, uh, to them as drug dealers. Basically. I, she looked at me and she's like, what do you mean drug dealers? I'm like, yeah. I mean, listen to the commercial at the end of the commercial. It isn't, you know, uh, see if the you know the doctor suggests this for you. It's go.
go to your doctor and ask if this is right for you. Yeah. That's what you would do to a drug dealer. And yeah. she looked at me like, I'm like, that's basically what a lot of them are doing. You're going and asking for things. They're not necessarily agreeing if it's right for you. You know, and, you know, that's a whole nother thing too is, you know, I, why when you go to a doctor and you have ailments, how come they don't necessarily test you for you, like your nutrition, you know what I mean? Make sure you, you've got everything you need before they go dealing out, you know, pharmaceutical medicines to cover up and make you sicker and you know, start that they're, they're cycle. They're trying to sell those. The whole, that, so, so let's go back to cannabis prohibition in the start. There's multiple factors that why cannabis became illegal. And um, central baking is a huge part of it. Our central, uh, our education system our, and our medical system are all intertwined. Okay. So the, the part of why cannabis was made illegal was because the chemical companies wanted to sell us pills. Part of the reason cannabis became illegal is because newspaper company wanted to sell us newspapers made from the trees that they had just bought. And, th- and at the same time, cannabis was, they, they developed a, a piece of machinery that made it really easy to separate all the parts and, and produce paper cheaply, right? Superior paper. Um, cannabis is illegal because there was a fella named Anslinger who was a racist bitch who, who wanted to keep his job in the government persecuting people. Right, so alcohol prohibition went away. He invented cannabis prohibition by saying Mexicans become rapists when they smoke cannabis, and that black jazz musicians are going to take your women from you. Right, and that's but they didn't call it cannabis; they called it marijuana. Right, and that's all of a sudden, I don't like that term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Dupont, the same time Dupont comes out with monofilament plastics. Right, so but but hemp was hemp had been the largest product in the world just just for wars were fought over the fiber, right? The hemp fiber trade. That's what the War of eighteen twelve was. It was so canvas, canvas sales, cannabis. Same word. That's translation. Okay, it's uh, but canvas sales were made for cannabis. Linen was originally all made for cannabis. All of our ropes. We're all made from cannabis, right? And then we had hundreds of medicines. There was a couple of hundred medicines registered in it, uh, it, like 1900. Various concoctions of cannabis. Some of them rich with opiate and all sorts of other weird stuff. But that was the pharmacopoeia back. But so, so they wanted to sell us pills because they knew anyone can grow a plant, but not everyone can compound chemistry. Press it into a pill and... And at the same time, they took over the medical association, developed it, I should say, and developed the training. And so all the doctors are trained that you fix things with a pill. And there's, they, most of them have no knowledge of health. Most of the doctors I've ever gone to for my own needs, it's generally just surgeries that I will even talk to a doctor for. They're usually obese, and I'm doing my freaking best to get them to start doing yoga and eat right. And exercise and just go for a fucking walk, right? But but there is like, I had a surgery once and the guy like agreed to trade me 
oil paintings or pastel paintings for the remodel in exchange for the price of the, the surgery. It was still $12,000 after he wrote off to his, I think I paid a thousand to him, but like, is a, is a, his wife didn't want any of my artwork, but he still just, as a courtesy, just wrote off five grand of his bill. Right? That's how, that's his, boom, for four hours, cutting on me was four freaking grand, right? Just like, ah, uh, it's, it's outrageous how, um, yeah, yeah, and part of that was all these different chemicals that they were putting into me, and that sixteen grand or whatever. It's nuts. So, so yeah, they they don't they don't know. I went, I got charged two hundred and seventy dollars. I got an abscess tooth that got up and and went in my whole fucking head. Like I got to get an antibiotic. I went in there for fifteen minutes. I spent and taught the guy about cannabis medicine told him about my head and he wrote me a prescription it was 200 fucking 40 bucks and I was teaching him about cannabis medicine he, he mentioned he had just been licensed to, to, to didn't know anything about it so I started giving him the basic cannabis lesson <laughs> it's like it's like I guess I really need the antibiotic I was dying my head was about to explode from, from abscess but so do you think if you were ahead there Known the access was coming, do you think you could have got ahead of it with, like, say, some RSO? No, I've got a, I got a busted tooth. It's been broken for a year and a half, and they capped it, and the infection got in under the temporary cap. And uh, I've been, I've been treating with stuff, but it was actually it was Thanksgiving. I went off. I, I love to bake. And uh, I went out, I, I made a bunch of apple pies and I just, I, I wrecked myself with apple pies and they got in there and, and the infection went to shit. There's not a whole lot you can do uh, once it starts going. Um, I, I did actually, when it, when it started, when it started to swell, I was trying to, I was, I was using RSO to try it. It wasn't, it was, it was one of the gnarlier infections I've had. I've had a few bad ones in my life. Um, I ended up having a residual sinus green blob for a month afterwards, right? It was, it was, uh, it was literally, was, I was starting to get big old fucking lumps were starting to form up on the back of my head and shit and around my face. Like I couldn't eat and, and uh, my, my teeth were loosening up. And it was, it was a real, I've had a few, so I don't, when I finally started realizing how fucked up my body was, I went through all the injuries to start with. Um, I didn't know. I, I actually was in so much pain. I would be blinded. Um, I had to quit firefighting. And I broke my neck the second time. My daughter came along and I started tree service. And, and literally, I, I would climb trees and come home and just lay on the floor and wanted to be dead. And I chambered a bullet more than once. And my daughter's face would just come up for me, right? And, and I was never suicidal. I just not six, seven days of, of excruciating pain were like a dream. My ears and my eyes glazed over. Um, and, uh, my little girl rocking me going, daddy feeding the hundreds and I couldn't move. Um, and I, it broke my neck the second time is why I quit firefighting. Didn't know it. And the doctors looked at me and like, dude, you look like Odysseus. There's nothing wrong with you. You might have carpal tunnel and hypertension. It's like, fuck, I live in the forest and smoke weed. I don't got hypertension. And 22 doctors over 20 years told me I had carpal tunnel. Because when I first started fighting fire, I'd wake up at night, my arms would be all like, 
clenched and just super paid and locked up and I couldn't use my hands and stuff. And, and I described that to him like, yeah, you got the worst case of carpal tunnel I ever had, but it wasn't, it was my nerves. They come out. It's the same nerve right here. Pinched up right here. The C4, the five, six, six, seven was all crushed and was never set. So it's all just, and, uh, if I don't do stuff, it's not so bad. But like, if I do things, it can feel like I can wake up and my hands feel like I'm running a jackhammer, right? But I'm not moving at all. It's just what it feels like. And there's like this pulse of pain going through like that. And, um, so I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I was in pain. And um, nurse, I, I, I had known and climbed trees for her. And she's like, dude, you're the strongest man I ever knew. And you are not anymore. You, you need help. And she sent me to this free clinic that all the um, all the uh, legal aliens go to and such, right? And um, documented workers, whatever. And, and so I went in there and started talking to them. And like, what can we do for you? I'm like, well, I'm in a lot of pain. I'd like to figure it out. And like, well, where does it hurt? I'm like, pretty much from here down to about here. And the guy laughs and assumes I'm an opiate addict out for drugs at the height of the opiate crisis, right? No, 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 no. Like, I ended up spending three hours talking to this guy, trying to explain to him I'm not after drugs. I want to know why it hurts, and I grow my own, and I've been doing it for years, and I have great weed, but just like, why is the pain getting worse? I was doing carpentry at the time. Um, I, I got put in jail on false charges after they came through here with uh, couldn't find nothing, and I lost my farm and, and went to work for carpentry for a friend of mine, and. Uh, I'd be crying because I was in so much fucking pain half the day. I, I, I built the copper still to make moonshine to help relax the muscles a little bit. I just sipped a little, teeny little bit, and that shit that does the trick sometimes, but I never drank another sip of it after I figured out what the fuck was wrong. Um, and they, they ended up at this free clinic. They ended up giving me some MRIs and showing me that my neck had been broken. And uh, but, but he spent three hours drilling me that I was after opiate. And finally, finally sees that and... and like, oh, do you land on your head at some point? And it, took, it took about 18 months to really figure it all out, that I didn't have carpal tunnel, that I'd broken my neck, that I had all this crushed discs. And there's literally, there's not a single disc in my spine that has cupping left, right? It's all worn flat. Every, every, uh, uh, every vertebrae. And then every disc in between has compression issues. There's only one or two that isn't close to full. So I was just in pure saturated pain, not even knowing what like, I'd be smoking this killer weed that I grew and selected for that, that made the, the trick that I, I could be friends with it. Um, teaching, teaching in PFA, I started learning about different ways I could use the extracts as a topical. And that saved my life today. As a topical, I was laying on the floor, just wanted to be dead. It was so much pain, crying a storm flows through here. And I just, I, I sometimes collapse for muscle spasms. And, and I'm like, man, that guy sent me topical. And I put some of that topical on. And 10 minutes later, I was doing chores around the house. I'm like, wait a second. I've tried fucking every snake oil in the world and snake venom. I've tried opiates, alcohol, nothing to stop this fucking pain. And that just, there's no, no wonder the shit's illegal. It works. Ah. Yeah, so I actually, next time the storm came through, I'm like, all right, I got to test this. I only put it on one side of my back. And 10 minutes later, it's like, no fucking shit. This is, this is the real deal. And then I started learning about titrating 
coconut oil and, and doing different strengths of that, the same stuff I give to the cancer patients with the black pico ash oil, the RSO, it's not activated. And activated and the same amount I take, if it's raw, THCA, I can eat that and go run up a mountain or ski all day long and just feel like a baby. If I eat the RSO where it's activated, I pass out in less than 45 minutes. The same same uh, by weight volume. Um, that, that's all part of the whole, like I started doing that for the cancer patients instead of knocking them out and giving them the THCA. And so you can function still and be awake and alive and go to work if you need to once you're adapted to that. It's pretty awesome. Um, but again, it comes back around and, and, you know, here I am doing a hell of a lot better than I was five years ago before I knew that stuff and was just smoking the weed still. Um, yeah. You know, definitely. I just want to say it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a bitch when you go into the doctor there and you, cause I'm the same way. I, I refuse the pharmaceutical, uh, it's just toxic bullshit. So when I go in, I, I jokingly say on the show, you know, I don't go in to see a doctor unless it's either one or two things. You know, I've cut something off and it's like, can you put this back on? Or I've hurt myself in another way and it's like, can you can you pull this out or can you sew this up? Right. <laughs> Usually other than that, I don't want to go. I'll take yeah. my chances. Yeah, But when you do have to go in, like you say, and you tell them right off the bat, you know, because that's, that's their go-to. Yeah, here you go. Here's the medicine. Get the, get out of here. And you go, hello, no, 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 no. That's not why I came. Keep, 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 your, keep your voodoo yeah. medicine. I want to know exactly the extent of the damage I'm in and is it going to be repaired? Am I going to have to tough this out and I'll be okay? Or are you going to have to fix this, but I don't want the medicine. And once you say that, then now they look at you like you're, you're now you have to fight for your seriousness of your injury. Cause yeah. they're like, Oh, you don't want no pain. Oh, it can't be hurt. And you're like, no, no, it hurts like a motherfucker. Excuse my language. If you don't right. swear, <laughs> Uh, it hurts uh, terribly, but uh, but I don't want your medicine. And then you have to like you. There's that back What's and forth. Medicine? You're like, no, What's come on, but yeah, play with me. Take an X-ray. You'll see it's really hurting. But you actually have to. It's like you say. It's hours before you get to there. Once you say keep your voodoo medicine, you have to. You know, it's a lot of back and forth with them. Yeah. 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 No, I still, and it, it took it took eighteen months actually to get the third MRI of the thoracic zone that showed like, oh, and when he saw that, like they're like, oh man, you got a bunch of stuff messed up in you, but it doesn't add up to all the pain you're talking about. And then they see the thoracic, and he says, oh, and he writes me a freaking tramadol prescription. Now tramadol is like the worst synthetic fucking opiate there is. It's like one of the most addictive, fat, you know, super gnarly shit. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. He says, take one in the morning with caffeine and one at night without. You'll be able to do whatever you want. And it's like, no, fuck. Like, he's like, that's what I use. He's 70 years old with, the, with like nine screws in his spine, right? And I'm like, no, dude, I'm, I'm 45 and I'm going to go ski again after I heal myself. <laughs> But apparently he's skiing yeah. on tramadol. <laughs> like, 
It's scary. I mean, right, yeah. right. I mean, yeah, that's that's yeah. It's so scary on so many levels. Not only like, are you just masking? You're fooling your body that you you shouldn't be there. But are you really there? I mean, at that point, there's a couple levels. Like, are you really there? No, you know what no. I mean. Yeah, you're not. You're in. I never found opiates to actually kill the pain. They mask it, or they make you stupid, so you don't know, you don't care about it, right? That's what it seems like to me. You, you all of a sudden, you're happy. You, you got, you got dopamine flowing like motherfucker. That's what that's what opiates are, right? So you don't care that you're in pain. It's still there. Um, you know, smoking smoking weed, unless unless depending on what your pain is, big old dab will release some serious muscle tension pretty quick. But but just smoking weed and you got pain issues, that just makes you friends with it. It's it's those THCA I find when you eat them raw or those topicals that really really uh, cause inflammation to go away, and and that's what causes pain is inflammation. Um, for the most part, um, here's, here's a story, um, about, about medicine. So one of my patients, uh, was selling fresh vegetables, herbs and stuff at the farmer's market. And I, I'd done 17 years at that market. And I, uh, I showed up and there's this guy selling pottery and beautiful ceramics, but you could see this guy was in pain. You can just see it. You, you can tell when somebody's hurting, right? Pardon uh, me. He was um big fella. And uh, it looks like he'd been putting on some weight. And but he had hold himself, just like trying to hold himself. And his face would just be pastely white and drawn. And you know, you'd see him interact with people and try and be friendly and stuff, but he was striving for it. And so we get to talking, and he gets to talk to some other people. And we all, somebody else actually, yeah, he's like, you need to talk to Alex more. And because I used to like hook up all the farmers. And um, we get to talking, and he had been eating, he'd been eating crushed press weed. It was the only thing he'd find was Mexi press weed. And this is, this is like eight years ago. You still can only find, I mean, it was even six years ago. Um, so, like, no, 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 no. I gave him what I had for myself. Like, you take this, and we'll, we'll get you hooked up. The girl there got him on lavender. So, oh, he had gone off to the war, blew out, his back got blown out, lifting heavy stuff, and he had two failed surgeries. Okay, so he was on disability and was hurt pretty bad and was trying to make a living on the side doing pottery. Um, and uh, so, so we got him. He couldn't sleep from the pain. He wasn't eating properly because of the pain. Um, and you know, it was just misery. And so so one person got him on lavender essential oil, helped him to sleep. And I like, took him up with proper food, got him eating right, and then got him proper cannabis. And we got to be good friends. And uh, I started teaching him not just about medicine, but mind. And got him thinking. And I nudged him into some schools of, um, oh, what do you call it? Uh, um, the occult. 
right? Not cults, but the occult, deep knowledge. And like his his dad was was uh, Israeli special forces, so he started you know understanding things on a whole different level. And then he started coming to me and teaching me shit about the occult that I hadn't learned about yet myself. He started taking it so far, but in the two years that we I was working with him, healing him. He had uh, gone to court several times and even professed that, like, no, I'm working with this medicine, man. This is my First Amendment right, and I'm using plant medicine. I don't want your drugs. I don't want, this is what I'm going to do. And the judge is like, and all the lawyers are like, but after two years, we went through 27 different strains of cannabis, working through his chemistry changes. Right, his mind and body change, and after we were all done, I did not realize that I thought he was on two or three meds. He said he had been on nine fucking prescriptions that he took every single day. He took a prescription for pain. He took a prescription for fucking blood pressure because it's fucking because the pain pills. He took a prescription for depression. He took a prescription for something to deal with with the side effects of the the, the, the depression pill, right? And it was just like this this cocktail of. And there's people with like 30 of these things that they're taking every fucking day. And all they need to do is eat a little bit of weed. And it takes care of 90% of that. You can't cold turkey, though. You know, my mom started cold turkey off of the same kind of shit that my girlfriend died from. And she started going in like, oh, mom, stop, stop, don't. Luckily, you know, she was having those thoughts. So we were able to get her to like wean it properly. And, uh, Mom doesn't smoke, but I got her just telling her this stuff. Got her off of two or three. She still uses a couple, but she had a stroke and had some hard times. And like, yeah, we don't, we don't need all these chemicals in us. It's not like ah, exercise, breathing. You know, Wim Hof is the person most of us might know of, but that stuff is amazing. I, I learned about that stuff long before I was doing ice baths. Actually. I did. I, I was swimming with icebergs in 2000 up in Alaska, bucknecking. But I've been doing in '89. I think I started doing my first uh, ice water in the High Sierras. And um, hyperthermia is an amazing drug in the proper dose. <laughs> uh, but don't overdo it. If you ever do it, you can't. You can't come back. Um, and yeah, so he he was on nine different freaking prescriptions the last thing i did with him on his healing journey was uh took him walking in the night with little smoke we went on a mushroom walk up on a ridge and i was wearing sandals and it kind of blew his mind it was like you just you just walk through the night across the gnarliest mountain i've ever freaking been on and you're on sandals and dancing most of the time <laughs> you could do that what else is possible and literally, it was like a week later, he gets a phone call. He's like, yeah, we've been following you. You're not disabled anymore. You're off disability. <laughs> and all about the same time, his wife divorced him. Like, man, best thing that ever happened to you. <laughs> you starting fresh. So he's now an animal. He really is. He, he, uh, he does amazing pottery. He teaches pottery. He sells pottery at art shows. And he's developed the COVID regime for selling pottery out of his garage um yeah yeah it's uh, the ripple the ripple you know because he's able to teach people 
right? And changes other people's perspectives perspectives of what is proper or what what you know what you can do and uh, yeah. I I I believe in that a lot. I believe in that kind of stuff a lot. In fact, uh, rather than get into a whole lot of stuff here, well. I was gonna check in because I know I've seen you, I've seen you yawn a couple of times, and I know it's way past your bedtime. You've been oh. super gracious enough to yeah, 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 yeah. drink some coffee. How are we doing? Are you are you still good? You, you should we check I, out sometime soon? You know, I went to. I'm rambling, rambling. I I can ramble. I have no idea how long I've been rambling. Um, oh man, it, well that's for for one. I want to make this clear. The people that watch this show and the people that, you know, are in this community love the rambles. We love to hear people's stories, you know, and the cannabis stories, the spiritual journeys. That's why if you go back and watch your episode uh, with Future Cannabis Project, because you can see the chat. Uh I mean, you can see Evil Gardens in there. I'm like, this dude, I love this guy's story. He's a perfect fit for my show. Peter, you have to give me his info. <laughs> no, right on, you right know on. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, I'm happy to. I'm happy to talk and tell the story. It's and like I said, you know what I'm saying tonight is it. If you go there and listen to that one, you're gonna get a bigger picture, right? I can't say it all in two hours. There's there, we're, we're talking 35 years of, of things happening here more and. Uh, so yeah, I'm 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 grateful to to tell the story and let people know, you know, it, the, my only paradigm is crushing paradigms, right? <laughs> the, the the change is the only constant in the universe, and it's been a long, long fight. Yeah, you know, like like things I talked about. I I went and talked before uh, the governor Brown in '91 or something, '92, and and talked about cannabis back then. You know, just keep it going. It, it, it's a slow churn, slow churn, keep growing and, and, and getting people their rights. Um, it's just a plant. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to tell the story and, and uh, expand people's minds. Because, uh, well, I wanted to check in because, uh, well, this is why I asked. Because uh, if you're down to, to stay, yeah, I, I, let's, we're good. We're good. Yeah. I, so no my my norm my normal sleep schedule is I'm usually like passed out of sleep by nine o'clock and up at three in the morning. <laughs> See, we're all, I've almost got your schedule completely spun around. Right, right, well, this right. This is where I'm getting at. If you know, it, it's up to you. This is completely up to you because I'd love to have you back either way, either way. Right. But right. I like to keep when when I enjoy somebody's company, I rather I like to keep it to where they're enjoying. You know, I don't like it to where, you know, they're exhausted and like, oh, that was an experience. I don't know if I want to get down to, <laughs> you know, well, another episode like that. Something so, I don't get enough. You. I don't get enough good conversation. I get so deep into conversation. It scares away most people that I encounter firsthand. You know, you, you see some of these threads I get into and I'm jumping off of thought runs, right? And coming back in. Most people just can't deal with more than about 30 seconds of that, you know, at least the ski, 
you know, it, it, if it's a topic you're interested in, you're going to be interested in it. But most people, like when I start taking things in the spiritual realm, they just like, dude, you, you're talking about shit. I just don't understand, man. And it's like, and the spirit realm to me is the same as the math realm and the physics realm. So it's like, it really fucks with people's heads when you start talking about that shit. So I don't get to talk it very often. So I'm happy to and come I'm, back and talk some more. Yeah, well, like I said, I don't want to, well, you know, time is a very precious thing. And I don't want to, I don't want to mess up your day to, for tomorrow. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm asking. But I, I'm I telling you get, what. I did get a rare treat tonight. My daughter asked to spend the night. So she's actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that as well. My, but <laughs> but the, 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 the morning is the, she, she's just, we don't do a whole lot, but she just sits on the couch and, and watches videos and stuff. But, but we'll, we'll interact tomorrow and do some artwork and stuff in the morning when we get up and. We, we yeah, so I should probably I should probably let you get some rest so you can get hey. up and you know enjoy that time. But know this, I definitely please I want you back because you we know can, we can I, do we, we, talking. I can talk IPM. I can know, talk soil. We can talk breeding. We can talk uh, various strains like rudimentary. I'm not so up on the modern super hybrids. Like I got a clue on some of that stuff, but most of the, there's so many people crossing shit and naming names, right? I, I'm 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 a land race, and I'm I got my core genetics. I, I I literally have 500 genetics in my vault, of which like I've made 300 myself, and a huge selection of hemp. You know, we can we can talk um, about the future of hemp um, and infrastructure needs and things like that. I, I all that stuff. I'm I'm happy talking all these kinds of things. Well, let's put let's put it this way. Uh, I I don't. Normally, everybody that this this is three hundred and twenty three episodes of this. I don't I don't come to these episodes. I slide in right before I tell everybody eleven thirty. And if you actually check in, I'll let you. I I let them sit there in uh, in there in the waiting room until like eleven twenty eight. You probably got you got a taste of that tonight. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I do that for a, I do it on purpose. Because I like to keep the conversation just as genuine as it can be. I don't like for us to have to repeat for each other. And there's another thing. I don't, I don't, I come in with this. I sit down and there's no, I don't have no questions. I freehand this as best as I can every night. But with you, things were a little different. When I watched you the other night, there's like you ever have you ever have like a yeah obviously the medicine man story that connection you're like this guy's got something to tell me so that's kind of when when i watched you on the future cannabis project the other night i was like i got a feeling this guy's got something you know there's that connection here it wants me to hear from folks you know i I literally when i was teaching on pfa and, and facebook there'd be like 3000 people in there and I try and teach and I, trolls would come in and just beat me down. And, and like, I'm empathic. I feel like I could take that shit personally. And I like, I try and like, but it, at some point I become a mirror and I, I start vibrating back at them at the same fucking frequency. Right. And all of a sudden I'm the asshole. So I ended up, I just had, I was wasting so much energy and time with all that. And it's just like, it's so frustrating. And then every once in a while, somebody would send me a private message or a text or, and, and some of it was like 
CEOs of big corporations like Alex, don't let those people get to you. You're helping so many freaking people. But it's like, it's the nature of the beast. Like, no matter how much I, I try and avoid it, I attract it. That's how things work, right? So I finally got to the point where it's like, I got to leave this. Like, I can't. And, but I still want to help people. I still want to teach. I still want to expand people's knowledge to make the world a better place for all of our great, great grandchildren, grandchildren, right? And that's really why I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about them. Um, you know, I saw, saw someone saying they want to hear about breeding. It's like, well, there's stuff that I breed for reasons like, like I said, how much, how much freaking plastic could be thrown in the ground still? Because we've outbred stem strength. Right, and it's so simple to breed it back in and maintain, and it's still proper crop, and not have to use. There's other things you can do to increase stem strength. You know, I, I, I'm like, you look at my Instagram account, and you'll see me every once in a while. I almost did one today. I, I might do it tomorrow. Actually, I got to do this, and I should show it. But I'll take a stick and beat the shit out of my plants when they're in transition. I take a big stick and I beat the shit out of them. If you don't got enough wind pushing them around, their stems ain't gonna strengthen up, right? But in nature, wind's blowing constantly, and it, it ruptures cells, and it builds to scar tissue, and it builds a strength up. In nature, you you know, these land-raised plants, uh, some of them get huge and fall over, but for the most part, they don't really need structural support. Um, I, I'm only smiling because the other night, this is how close, in fact, you know, this is how much we resonate. Well, at least I noticed that we resonate. That's what I should say. Uh, for one, I've, I've actually been kind of excited to do this ever since I've seen you the other day. If you kind of checked out some of these shows, you'd see me mention it every night. And I'm inviting you to go back and watch last night's Rabbit Hole. At least at least rewind it probably about an hour it was pretty lengthy. So at least an hour from the end is where I really kind of get to where I'm talking about you. And we actually talked about you for a while, but what I'm smiling about here in this instance is the other night I had seedlings. I've got seedlings. I need to transplant up into their cups, but I brought them out on air and I I showed that I had, you know, at that point it was a 99% germ rate. And I was like, oh, just this little guy. And I, and I had, I took the top off and I took my pencil or this pen. And I'm like, you guys should do this. I do this a couple of times a day when they're at this point. And I just went blop, blop, blop. I ran them back and forth, knocked them over. And everybody that was like, I should do that. I'm like, you should do that. It yeah. strengthens them up. It's really you good. Definitely for do that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I do that with my seedlings. I go through with my hand on the seedlings, actually, and I'll, I'll knock them around like that to build stem strength. It's totally knowledge right there, dropping it. But I'm telling you, uh, I do, I'm, I'm hoping to schedule you back real soon. I don't ask people back frequently, uh, to be honest with you. And cool. to, yeah, for, yeah, no, to, I, can, we do a, I can do an IPM lecture. Concept, concepts of IPM and, and its origins and, and how it evolved and instead of just like I throw this I throw that I threw this right because there's there's all sorts of solutions there's no one right way but understanding the concept is is you know having a full understanding is different than having a belief right and I'm all about understanding I I have beliefs I've had I got photographs and, and video of UFO that I've captured 
I've seen a whole lot more than I've never photographed or, or videoed, right? They hardly talk about those. They tell the story of the ones that I have pictures of, and people call me a liar. <laughs> Tim, Tim I, you know, I believe that, you know, Tim Blake was another one that was a run fun interview. And I'm putting you right next to Tim Blake, man. He was a fun one. And, you know, I, just as like I've as we've talked tonight, I've already started to put together like a short list, you know, you know, frequency, spirituality and cannabis, uh, dry farming, your painting. And then I haven't even got into breeding and growing yet. So, you know yeah. what I mean? Right there. I bet you we probably got another four hours. We could probably talk. <laughs> oh, I, I, sure. Sure. Yeah, not so, at all. It, it all it's all lessons, you know. I used to integrate like I used to love to integrate teaching skiing and art, and and I would use the two of them to to teach the other one, right? And try to explain when I'm teaching art, it's like um, you know, take a risk. This is what I do on my skis. I could die. This is just paint. It costs you a couple bucks. Take a risk. See what happens. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of parallels, though, in, in your skill level building. And it's the same with cannabis growing. It's like you, I started out the first time, a few times, totally failed. You know? But now I hand my grass to whoever, and I was like, whoa, who's that? Like, is, <laughs> do, I, do I have to take a third hit? <laughs> <laughs> It's not because it was bad. It's because, like, I'm not going to be able to move if I take a third hit. <laughs> I usually take the third hit. <laughs> I mean, I today, this morning, I don't remember taking, I don't remember taking a third hit. I think I, I had two. And I passed out at some point. I, I mixed the wrong two. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I was it was Malawi Gold was the second hit. I know that shit's extremely potent. I usually only smoke it first thing early in the morning. But uh, it knocked me out for about two hours. <laughs> Sometimes that happens like that. You don't intend it. But it's the way I see it, you know, it's in the cards. Sure, you know sure. No, I mean? my body... body needed it. You know what I mean? It was it was pretty oh, no. to be. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have toked, I would not have toked if my body wasn't tweaking. We had a big old storm move through and my body is a, a barometer. And uh, most storms I'm in a lot of freaking pain and doesn't matter how much RSO or Pico I eat. I just I gotta stretch or just lay there with a blanket over me and go sleep and, and wait for it to pass. Um, get up and go back to work. But that's PTSD too. I get up and sometimes it's like I'm afraid to move. Has my muscles relaxed yet? Um, it's 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 tough. I deal with it daily. It's it's being alive, you know. Um, it's a big difference from from jumping off cliffs going backwards with just your toes attached to skis. <laughs> where I was once upon. And again, I would never trade a single thing I did to get to the state where I am now because it's all the relative experience to be able to tell these stories and stuff, right? And we only live in this body once. I kind of believe that, like that, my mentor and I have intertwined through many lifetimes, doing great things for people. Um, yeah, that's a belief. 
I, I can't say I know that as an understanding. I, I understand everyone else's beliefs towards those concepts, but there's no way for us to truly know because the belief is that, that all knowledge is get scrubbed, right? And we go into these, these interludes with our, with our teachers and our, and our, um, entheogens or plant teachers or, or guides or whatever. And we seem to be given this knowledge. It's like, yeah, life is eternal. It's just this body. We don't actually die. You know, you're all one. Everything is one thing. And, um, yeah. It's, it's a. Yeah. Why do they give us pills? I'm holding back. Yeah, I'm what? holding back here. I said I'm they... holding back because I know that I, I rightfully need to let you go. But I'm telling you, this we we're gonna get in. We're gonna get in deep. I'm telling you, I'm. Go, go. I can I can actually see that I'm actually just probably juicing you up. Because I can see, like, I'm I'm kind of an empath, too. And I can see that your energy's going up. You're probably not going to go to sleep right off. And get oh, no, 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 yeah, I have to wind down. I'm definitely going to have to wind down. <laughs> so I don't want to continue to do that. So, you know, cool. let's let's try to wind this back down a little sure, bit. Because sure. I don't want it. I want you to enjoy this special day I, with your daughter. I tell, so. I tell people, it's like, man... You gotta say goodbye, or I will continue to talk your ear off. It, it like, I, I, and this is just me. I talk, and it's not it, it's any any situation. And so it's, it's all cool. And I, I do uh, uh, probably should go start resting. <laughs> no, and trust me, I do want to hear. It. I just don't want to. I don't want you. I don't want to royal that special time with your daughter. I, I cherish. I, I can understand that time with family. You know, I've got a daughter. I don't get to see that often. And when I see her, you know, well, I, I try well, to just pause everything. I'm coming full. I'm coming to, to the point in my life where it's like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm getting to where it's like, okay, I still have work to do, but like, I just handed her skiing. Like I've been, been trying to get her to ski and get her to really enjoy it. But now she's skiing with her boyfriend. Right. Like she ain't skiing with me anymore. And they're, it's like, yeah, I finally, I've, she's got it. And uh, she's having a happy lifetime. And, and yeah, yeah. But yeah, a couple of minutes tomorrow for me is going to be good. Whatever we end up doing. Yeah. Get that time, brother. Get that time. A couple things I want to tell you to get from you before you go. And I yeah. am going to be contacting you late. Well, not tomorrow, because I know you'll be with your daughter. But I'll, well, just, I'll get a hold just, of you Monday. About getting I, you back punch, on. Punch, punch messages to me. And you're fine. You're there, and I, I you know, that stuff doesn't doesn't uh, go off on my phone or whatever. I just check my messages. So you can hit me there, and that's fine. Okay. Well, until we get you back on, this is this goes standard. This is this is standard for everybody on the way out. Is you know, uh, every guest I do the wormhole. That's what will come after the show. And that's what I'm inviting you to go back and watch. It's 322, 322, the end of 322, the wormhole. And you'll get a kind of a good gist about me and, you know, sure, sure. The, yeah, yeah. the pre up to this. Yeah, yeah no, but, I, uh, I just didn't have time before to check any of them out. But, yeah, I'm glad I found you. That's fine. Well, what the wormhole is, like, every night I do go live from 1130-ish to 420 and if we go short then i open it up to past guests or if i I don't have a guest then it's a wormhole night 
So the Zoom numbers are always the same. So keep that Zoom invitation. All right. And anytime, if you do start to follow the show, you know, you do become a friend of the show and want to hang out and chat or whatever. Uh, anytime you see a wormhole, you don't need an invitation. You just pop that link and come on. Anytime you want to get on, just jump right in. Uh, so that's your invitation. Please keep that. Cool. And that's that's a more for everybody type show. So there could be multiple guests in on sure, that. Sure. But I do want to reschedule you for the one-on-one because I've got a lot of one-on-one for you. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and like you said, I know it's not your standard uh, asking questions and stuff, but if you got them, I'm, I'm happy. You see, you ask me a question, and it, it sets it sets a whole series of, of response off when I get a question. You know, if I'm just rambling, I tend to ramble and like, where where is I going? But yeah, so, cool, cool. The the one last thing I want to get from you before before I let you go and say goodbye is uh, it's kind of corny, but it's the old school like soundbite. So basically. In my words, not yours, and this is my example, is this is what I'm looking for is hey, this is I'm on this is Eagle Gardens and I'm on fucking talking shit with Eagle episode tonight's uh three twenty-three. You know, you can add make it your own, but that's what I'm looking for. This is like your advertisement for this episode. So can you right? give me your soundbite? It's recording and ready anytime you are, my friend. Hey folks, this is Hardy Gear, and I'm on Talking Shit with Eagle Gardens, episode 322. And you're having a good night, too. Appreciate you guys for checking in. Thank you, my friend. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on, taking the time. You know, again, I understand you had a long day. Your daughter, taking time away from your daughter, that's huge. So, uh, you know... Thank you was, so much. Was, I am very boring. much. We were scheduled before I before she asked. I was literally driving off the ski mountain when she asked if she could come over. So it's all good. It's all good. I still wanted would have thought about canceling or rescheduling. You can't get that time. So thank you for you know bending, making us both fit in there. So, and I am very much looking forward to uh, getting you back on. You will see you know, some messages in your DM. So thank you very much. Get some rest and enjoy your day with your daughter tomorrow. We will be talking most definitely soon. Excellent. Thank you so much for letting me share and and, uh, we'll be chatting soon. Okay. Have a great night. (laughs) Have a good one. Yeah, Yeah. For the rest of you guys who want to come hang out with me in the wormhole in a few minutes, please do so. But for us of you that who do not, you guys know the re- routine. Please do something nice for somebody. Random acts of kindness do save lives. I'm a living, breathing example of that. Thank you so much for tuning in on this amazing episode with me and Hardy Gear, Alex Hardy. It was an amazing episode, and I am very very much looking forward to having him back. So give me a few minutes to stretch and refill my coffee and uh, we'll get this wormhole going. Thank you so much for tuning in.